Do you like storytelling? Or do you like me? Well, join me on April 27th at Caveat in New York City on the Lower East Side as I share a true story from my life on the show Risk. Created and hosted by my former guest and my pal Kevin Allison, Risk is the live show and weekly podcast where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. And here's a tip. Tickets are available now for $18 if you purchase them in advance or, you know, $20 at the door if you wait until the day of. Can't make it to New York but still want to catch the show? Well, the night is being live-streamed via Stellar, and those tickets are only $15. Visit www.risk-show-tour for more details. That's www.risk-show-tour. Hope to see you there. I don't know if y'all have heard After Hours by Ali and AJ yet, but yo! That's my joy! joy. Hey yo, displace the guilt and... What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Barrowman, a.k.a. Nate 3.0. Back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I am joined by singer-songwriter Dave Haas. We talk about his music and his career and the upcoming Sing Us Home Festival that he co-created and curated that's coming up here in May. And we talk about so much more. And that's all, as I like to say, coming up in a bit here. But first, how are we doing, gang? We have officially made it through winter, and look, it may not have snowed really or been bad around these parts, but ah, good riddance. I am so over being cold. I just want to shed these layers and be free, goddammit. And the quicker it warms, the quicker we get to festival season. Man, Philly is becoming such a great spot for music festivals. We've got Dave's new one, Sing His Home, that we talk about here. We got Music Fest up in Bethlehem. We got Love from Philly. We got The Roots Picnic. We got the Exponential Music Festival. We got Philly Music Fest and the Center City Jazz Festival. And of course, all the radio station shows like the MMRBQ, the 104.5 Winter John, Power 99's Powerhouse, and the XTU Anniversary Show. And that's not even mentioning the big granddaddy of them all, the Philadelphia Folk Fest, which sadly is not taking place this year, but hopefully, fingers crossed, will return in the future. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some others. Like, we're so incredibly lucky to have all this really great music in our hometown. So when I heard Dave was creating Sing Us Home, and I saw that it included our pals the Tisberries and Catbite, well, good golly, Miss Molly, I had a big old smile on my face. Because I love this damn city of ours, and I love watching it become a premier spot for music and music discovery. You know, we're lucky, folks. I hope we never forget that or become disillusioned by it. Because our shit is dope. And you know what else is dope? 
Visiting www.yothatsmyjohn.com and signing up for the mailing list. All the cool kids are doing it. Are you a cool kid? Well, go do it. And while you're on the website, check out the shop link for some dope merch like t-shirts and all that. And of course, follow us on the socials at Yo That's My John. Facebook, Insta, Twitter, YouTube. I'm trying to get a little more active with the uh, reels and the shorts and the stories and all that stuff that, you know, makes me sound like a goddamn dinosaur when I try to say them like the old dude that I am. So go follow them things and mock me in the comments if you must. I have tough skin. I can take it. All right. Quick break. And then we'll be back with my interview with Dave Haas. My guest today is a singer-songwriter who is set to release his sixth full-length album, Drive It Like It's Stolen. Ten songs featuring his trademark urgency and passion, shimmering with a truth that reflects the harsh realities of life in this day and age, as well as the intermittent jolts of joy that punctuate it. He is also the creator and curator of the upcoming Sing Us Home Festival, the new two-day festival coming to Maniunk on May 5th and 6th, and featuring sets by Drive-By Truckers, Craig Finn, Kathleen Edwards, Lydia Lovelace, Tim Haas, Catbite, Cross Keys, The Tisberries, Circle of Sin, and The Ocean Avenue Stompers, and is hosted by Ruben Frank. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show... Dave Haas. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Dave Haas. Dave, thank you for joining me on Yo, That's My John. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Um, so uh, in doing research on this, it, 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 this is actually now two episodes in a row this has happened. I, I didn't realize how many times I've seen you um, play live. Uh, oh and, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, my fiance and I were big um, WXPN supporters, so um, oh. I was going back counting the exponential fests, and I'm like, oh my god, I have seen Dave play a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, we for a while we had the record, uh, or maybe we were in contention with Dawes, who it was, is uh, who I just talked to, which is the funniest part. <laughs> oh, did you the band Dawes? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. yeah. They've played uh, Main Street Music and Maniunk uh, for in-stores on every record, as as have I. And then they've played um, Exponential Festival a bunch of times. And for a while, we were in the running. And then I think they got... I think they got ahead of me. So I, th- I think, well, they, they had one year that they had to uh, cancel out of because of COVID. And I think there was one year of rain. So you guys might still be kind of tied, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But that's cool. Yeah. We, we were able to do, I think, the first, oh, the loved ones. My old band played Exponential Festival back in 2008. Oh, um, okay. See, so you might actually technically pull out there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Um, but yeah, so that was the first time I had played it. I had attended it like way back. I saw Mindy Smith there when it was still on the Philly side. Um, so I'm, I've been going to that thing in some capacity, whether playing it or attending it for, I guess, about 20 years. Um, so yeah, I, I love that festival. It's great. 
It's the best. Like, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's always been uh, her and my kind of uh, anniversary. And then they moved it to September. So then last yeah. year, um, last year I uh, had to propose uh, to keep oh, the anniversary congrats. going. So. That's killer. Did you, did you propose at the festival? <laughs> no, I did it the week before. We're, that week um, that it that it was, I mean, they actually moved it this year. But the week that it, that it has been the past two years is when we're on vacation in Cape Cod. So we've been missing like the Friday days and just being back in time for saturday sunday but um but they moved it this year so we're good (laughs) yeah 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 i saw they moved it to september and uh which actually worked out really well for us because we are launching our own festival sing us home festival in maniunk and it happens in may and so the further away you are from other semi-similar festivals the better um, I don't know how similar it is. I mean, somebody jokingly said, oh, this this lineup looks like Exponential Festival like five years ago or something. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it was really great to get WXPN's blessing and, and their um, vote of confidence and their support on our festival. Because like I said, I've been a fan of theirs and, and, um, and then, you know, played it so many times that, uh, you know, it was exciting to have them be so fired up for us to start our own. Yeah, totally. You know, um, there's something about a festival to me that I think is like pure uh, music discovery. Like it's a chance for like to get in ears that normally, you know, it's, and that's one of the things that I've always loved about the Exponential Music Festival is because they have such an eclectic kind of, um, uh, you know, swarth of, of, of bands that like I know that there's, you know, there's there's some XPN listeners who've probably never heard, you know, your stuff. Um, and, and sure. they, you know, they wouldn't actively go look at, you know, something as, I don't want to say heavy, but like, you know, XPN for a long time was known as like, you know, the acoustic haven essentially, you know, and, yeah. um, um, but like it gives that kind of opportunity and now you're kind of, uh, crafting your own, you curating your own festival. What's that been like to kind of, um, take, on an even larger responsibility at a festival? Well, um, it's interesting because so much of it has to do with um, logistics and then also like city ordinances and things like that. We're doing it in Maniunk at a place called Venice Island, which um, a lot of people just weren't even aware existed. It's right off of Main Street. If you turn off of Main Street on Cotton, you'll enter where uh, the festival is going to be. And it's a spot that holds a couple thousand people. Potentially we can expand it and contract it according to how many people come. So it always feels snug, but um, half of it is on many property and half of it's on the city of Philadelphia property. So negotiating those logistics, like you suddenly are involved in city politics and, and civics and things like that, which uh, was new to me. Our manager's really good at that kind of stuff. And so he kept his head in the game, despite um, a lot of people saying, hey, why are you doing a festival in Philadelphia? It's so difficult to pull off. Um, but I think maybe naivete and then also just, um, you know, a stick to that that he and I and my brother all have. We just sort of were like, no, we're going to love this thing to life. So that that's a lot of it. Um, but that's also, you know, getting it set for the first year as it develops. I mean, if we can be successful 
we already have the second year more or less planned. And a lot of it would be like plug and play because we've done a lot of the work with the city and, and with the neighborhood um, of Maniunk. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, the most fun part is cultivating the lineup and then starting as I started to reach out to old friends and businesses in the area that I respect or know, or both um, that part of it has been really fun. I feel like um, a little bit, you know, a little bit of grassroots community organization is kicking in, um, you know, and getting to know some of the newer uh, stores and vendors and things like that on Main Street has been fun. Um, But a lot of that, honestly, is recent because up until essentially the announced day, we didn't know if we could do it. You know, like we basically had all these logistics going and that takes so long to iron out that the window to construct a lineup was pretty small. And so we were sort of like, let's hope our lineup clicks into place. And it did, you know, we're thankful for everybody who's committed to do it. And so once you have a lineup, you can actually go to somebody with a pierogi uh, business or, you know, a sandwich business or a beer, uh, you know, a brewery or whatever. You can't really go to them without a lineup and an actual like an actual thing you could but but for more more or less i just wanted to be prepared and so it was kind of like we had to have all these dominoes all fall and uh and so now a lot of it is just hoping that tickets sell and starting to market it and get the word out i mean all that is hard work and a lot different from getting up and just playing a guitar to a crowd of people (laughs) yeah totally It's, it's cool. You know, like I'm always up for a challenge. I think like, as I've grown and developed as a person, um, I'm always looking for something to kind of like put some new wind in my sails and whether that's been, um, you know, start a punk band 15 years ago or pivot from that to a solo career and learn how to play acoustic guitar and be more of a songwriter or, um, you know, fatherhood and, and moving to California. And like, there's just been, I'm never that, um, I'm, I'm always a little bit restless and I'm never that comfortable with being comfortable. So I think, uh, you know, pushing into a new realm has been re- really exciting and also has been a way to reinvigorate my excitement for not only my hometown, but like the various bands and businesses that are all rooted there. So it's, it's been really cool. Really. That's a long answer, but that's, that's kind of what it's felt like going into this. No, man, that's beautiful. Um, Speaking of it being, you know, hometown, let's, let's throw it back. When, when you were uh, younger, where, where did you grow up? Right, right in Roxborough, right? Is that a, yeah. I grew up in Roxborough, um, in the middle of Roxborough for my first 10 or 12 years. And then I moved um, down by Roxborough Memorial Hospital um, right around when I was, I think, 12. And um, and so I was frequenting Maniunk as Maniunk was starting to like gentrify and shift over into like the hipster town that it became. I was like maybe a teenager or something like that. So before it really clicked you could go down there and see like, you know, a pretty good street fight if you wanted to. Um, and uh, now it's like real bougie. It's like, it's kind of like a main line. It's not, I guess it's not real bougie. It's just cleaned up and it's, it's got it yeah. together and, and uh, it's not bougie at all actually. But um, I was just going to say, it's funny you say that because I think one of the last times I was in Maniunk with my pals, like, uh, and this was a while ago, this was probably like six or seven years ago, but um, a bit, you, you remember that, um, 
that food place that was like right by the parking lot that like was always open like until like three in the morning. They did like burgers and stuff like that, like the tent yeah. all set up. Mm-hmm. Um, big, huge brawl broke out. I took a <laughs> pair of keys to the face. Like it was, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was trying to help break it up and that was the yeah. dumbest thing I could ever do. You know, no, just let it happen, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> they say, yeah, they say the first, the first person to get punched is the person who steps in, but that's right. Yeah. Um, it used to, I guess bougie by comparison. Now I'm starting, uh, now I'm walking back that comment, but ultimately like it used to be rough neck down. In- yeah. And then a lot of uh, development came in and sorted it out and the businesses became successful and it became this like cool town and mainliners would come over from Balakinwood and all that jazz. And, um, and so I kind of watched that whole thing happen as a teenager. And, um, and so the original thought for sing us home was to put it in, in Roxborough up on um, Ridge Avenue. We were, I was thinking maybe we would do it at uh, the park across from Leverington Presbyterian Church, Gorgas Park. Okay. But it just didn't seem like the best location. It seemed a little hard to put it all together. And then this Venice Island idea came together with our our friends at Main Street Music there. I've been friends with Pat for like 30 years. Um, uh, And so he, you know, he's the beating heart of the music, the, the music scene down there. And so we put our heads together and we initially were going to do it behind his shop and there wasn't enough space. And so we sort of settled on, on um, Venice Island, which was like a good place to throw bottles when I was a kid. And now it's like this really sweet tree lined blossoming uh, spot where we're going to do a music festival. So it's kind of cool to see it uh, have improved so much. Yeah, it's wild. I, like one of the last times I was down, I got to walk around back there and all, and I was just like, "This is like a whole other world." Like, like it's yeah. really nice. It's it a really nice place. Um, so, when you were like a, a kid, what was like playing around the house? What kind of music were your folks into? Uh, my folks were this strange mix of rock and roll, and then they were evangelical Christians. Um, so they liked Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen and Dire Straits and Tom Petty, and um, but then they loved you know Amy Grant and all this kind of jazz too. They were sort of trying to thread the needle between their fervor for Jesus and then also their. Um, excitement over rock and roll, I guess, from, from their teens and and early twenties and stuff. So, um, I kind of got all of that. Um, and interestingly enough, I was like seven or maybe eight when the Hooters were really, uh, coming to prominence in Philadelphia. And so they had put out nervous night and for whatever reason, it really spoke to me as a kid, you know, as a little kid, it felt like something happening in my own backyard that I could root for. And, um, the city was kind of all in, uh, on the Hooters. And so they were like the first band of my own, but yeah, it was like, for me, it was like the tapes that I bought of my own were like Brian Adams and heart at the time, you know, it's getting into like rock and roll music, but then also Michael Jackson's thriller and, and my folks like Chicago, the band from Chicago, you know, the yeah band with all the horns and stuff. And, and so I was, I was pretty well balanced in terms of the stuff I was hearing. And then we, because we were such churchies, I was always singing, you know, I was always around music every week. And, um, and so I, you know, growing up in a working class neighborhood, but then going to private school because my folks were so taken with Jesus made for this interesting mix of, of, you know, sacred and profane and kind of like being pulled between different classes. And I mean, 
classes like um, socioeconomically, you know, sure. like uh, people in private school who had more money. So I wasn't in the public school system, but at home in our neighborhood, it was just like a rough and tumble working class background. So yeah, it was an interesting way to grow up in music uh, was always just so pivotal for me. It was just like the thing I was so taken with. And, and by the time I was 12 or 13, it was the grunge thing, but then also hip hop, you know, hip hop was a major a major influence on me, everybody from tribe to the roots and, and, um, and all that, that was happening sort of New York and Philly, you know, all that stuff seemed to be dovetailing. And, um, and then I got progressively more into like hardcore and punk rock music as I was a teenager. So yeah, it was, music was, uh, and still is really to this day, it was, it's like the lifeblood for, for my, for everything I do, you know, it's, it's been that way since I can remember, and, uh, you know, it's like the magic, the magic in life for me. Definitely. Definitely. I, I feel almost exactly similar. Like I, we're around the same age. I'm slightly older than you, but, uh, oh. but around the same age. So like it's, it, and, and essentially the same area. I grew up, um, uh, North Wales, Lansdale area oh, um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. in the burbs. Um, uh-huh. so like, um, it's, and, and it's like, it's just very familiar. Like, cause I was the same way. Like I, the, you know, grunge was happening, but also that pool of hip hop was just like, it was there. And then, and then hardcore was like, Oh, I, this is where I can release all of that. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> yeah, this is where yeah. I can let it. I can let it ride. Um, when did when did you start playing? Like, what what was kind of your entry point there? Guitar first, or yeah, guitar first. My dad is a guitar player. He's he's pretty talented. He can play well, and so he had guitars hanging around and amps and stuff like that. And I started uh, maybe in I guess it was like seventh grade. So how old are you then? I was maybe like. 12 or something i got a guitar and uh played with a couple guys down on maniunk avenue uh, a couple friends of mine we put a band together for a talent show at our school and um so that kind of you know it's funny because the bug bit me it bit all of us in various degrees but ultimately everyone that i've almost everyone that i've played with um you know, decided at some point to like get into another thing, whether that was when we were young, like they would get into art or they would get into sports or whatever. So I kind of on some level feel like the last man standing. Um, and, you know, everybody's been super kind to me from all those bands, from my very first band all the way through um, now, you know, everyone's like still rooting, you know, go, go, keep going. kind of thing. But um, yeah, when I started playing, I was a teenager and, and I guess the point of entry for me, it was hard to play metal music, you know, like uh, yeah. that's kind of what I was initially into. And then as I got further into Metallica and stuff, I realized they liked the Misfits and and things like that. I got into, you know, through metal, I got into hardcore and punk and the barrier of entry was lower. If you knew three or four chords and uh, and could kind of craft up something with a chorus, you could kind of get a show. And, and that was kind of part of what steered me in the direction of, of playing. And, um, and so my high school band, I was in with a couple guys that were older, they were out of school. And so we were able to do a lot of cool, we got to play the Trocadero, we got to go to New York, we got to go to Boston. Um, we got to play with like some popular bands within hardcore kid dynamite and sick of it all and all those kinds of things, Madball, And so, um, 
you know, that was a, a nice taste of like what could be, um, you know, as a, as a senior in high school. Um, and the interesting thing you say, Lansdale and North Wales, the school I went to was, was in Erdenheim. So it was in the burbs. So I have a ton of friends from the burbs and ended up landing in Ambler for years and years. I lived there before um, I moved out to California. So I'm well right now. <laughs> in Ambler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My best friend, uh, two, two of my best friends are right there. One guy's in Fort Washington, Dave Adolph. He plays in Cross Keys, who's playing the festival. And then my dear friend, Brendan, who was, I was playing in all those bands I was just describing. He runs the beer distributor there in Ambler, Ambler Beverage Exchange. Oh, no so kidding. You go in there and say hey to Brendan. He's, he's the best. He's the best guy. We, um, uh, I used to help out with a, um, uh, we built a, uh, disc golf course in Fort Washington at the state park and, um, Ambler always, oh, Ambler beverage always, uh, would donate, uh, to tournaments and stuff like that. And I believe they oh, still sweet. are with, uh, the tournaments we're still going. Yeah. I love, oh, love, awesome. love this town and love that place. Like, uh, it's, yeah, it's, where in Ambler are you? We're, um, right behind the post office. Um, so like two oh, blocks yeah. behind the post office. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah. I was on North main street for years and, and owned a house there and, and had a, had a whole different life, you know? So that's cool. I love Amber. I'm still, my, one of my sisters is still there. Like I said, I two of my best buds are right in that area. Um, so yeah, that's, it's got, it holds a special place in my heart. I love Ambler theater, you know, to, to take in a oh, movie yes. there is always a treat. So it's one of, it's one of the jewels of the suburbs, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I like to tell this, that my first, my first in theater post COVID was, uh, we went to the Ambler theater to see Questlove summer of soul. And like, it oh, was like geez. the perfect, like, welcome back to, to film and, and life, yeah. I guess. <laughs> that was a great film, man. Well, what a treat. That's Stevie wonder. Oh opening. my God. Holy shit. Yeah, that and the centerpiece with Mavis Staples uh, in the Martin Luther King tribute, like, just absolutely fried me, man. It was uh, that was such such a film. Yeah, um, so you know, so you're 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 playing in those bands in high school and stuff like that, and you know, uh, then eventually um, you get to the loved ones. Um, and, and then, and then you decide to do your own stuff. Like, like it's been a, a path of like, just continuing on to kind of, I guess, evolve, um, into, into, uh, what you found to be your sound. Um, do you, do you miss kind of, uh, that, uh, having the other people in a band essentially to kind of, um, not have to be the primary decider of things or, or do you like kind of leading? No, I, I don't. I like, I like sort of being in a, in a benevolent dictatorship. Okay. Um, I kind of know what I want. I know what I like, except for in the areas where I don't. And in those situations, I, I love input. I love, um, you know, kind of, I love collaboration. Collaboration's great. What I don't love is not having the final word. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that over, over a long career, I think I've, I've been able to get myself into a situation where I can successfully have the final word. And even, even with my brother, Tim, which is kind of, he's my main collaborator in the last, especially, you know, six or seven years. Um, 
he now made his own debut record that just came out in January. And it's phenomenal. Right? So he just plays I love it. it. Oh, it's oh, so thanks, good. man. I'm glad you love it. And that was an instance where I was totally yielding back the final word where it was like, this is yours now. If you want to leave that lyric in, you want to have that be the drum sound you want to have. That's you. That's your decision. And it was really fun and really freeing to kind of not have to make those decisions. And at the same time, when we made my record that comes out in April, Drive It Like It's Stolen, I could kind of take even more artistic control of how I wanted it to end up. So it's a push and pull, but uh, I do miss all the people that I collaborated with over the years. Um, but I don't miss being in a full democracy. I think like for me, that was, uh, that was frustrating given how severe I am about what I want to hear. Um, and you know, if you interviewed other members of the loved ones, they might, tell you a different tale i mean we all love one another but i'm sure they could be like oh boy it was it was tough at different points if you know to be in a quote-unquote democracy but i think for me um you know what i miss is and, and this is kind of what i've been working towards for most of my musical life is i do miss sometimes playing more aggressively and so you'll find on this record that's about to come out you'll hear more of that thing that we sort of yielded from a little bit on the last record. The last record was a lot more acoustic. It was a lot more roots based. And this one has a little bit of the edge back. And then I've been listening a lot to this band idols that um, I think is just phenomenal. They're out of Bristol and in England. They're one of my me. favorite bands, man. They are yeah, so they are good. So rad. Yeah. And it's got me back into that. Wait, maybe I should make like a really fired up angry punk rock record. Um, or at least a more, not that they're fired up or angry. It's just that they're, they're playing with um, maybe some brasher colors or something. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I hate to describe music, but ultimately, um, I think yeah, I've been reading about this week, Elvis Costello is doing 10 nights at the Gramercy Theater and he's doing 200 songs, right? And there's this writer for Spin that's like chronicling it all. And so he gives a review each day that I've been like pretty fascinated with. My kids are sick. They've been, they've got the flu. I had to fly home from Philly the day of the Super Bowl just to kind of like help out. It's been super hectic. And my only reprieve this week has been reading about Elvis Costello's 10 night thing. And I realized like, that's the kind of career that I've been working towards is, is to just keep writing, you know, song after song after song and making record after record. That's different. That just follows the muse. Some of them are more successful than others. Some of them are more, uh, they, you know, they, they hit closer to the zeitgeist than others, but he just keeps working. And, uh, I realized like reading about his, um, his like 10 night stand. I was like, yeah, he's kind of more of an appropriate goal, you know, to land at than say like Bruce Springsteen or whatever, you know, the clash or something like those are so outsized and so their own thing that it's unreachable, you know, at, at my age with what we do, but he, you know, obviously he's a household name as well, but it just seems a little bit more of a reasonable analog over a long period of time to be like, yeah, being able to do multiple nights in New York city and play 200 songs and have people be compelled by that because of your long artistry, that could be a, that could be a, a thing, you know, later in life. 
That's awesome. Yeah, you know, uh, the Elvis Costello is so good in that um, there's like um, he's built enough of a backbone that you trust that like, you know what, maybe this album might not be for me, but I, uh, but, but I know the next one might, you know, like it, it, there's no, there's no exit ramp. It's more just like, it's like, here's, here's what I'm serving tonight. And if you don't like this, well then maybe tomorrow's dinner will excite you. You know, uh, Joe Jackson That's was right. kind of the same way, you know, like who, you know, right. went and just started making weird jazz albums for a while. And then was like, came back and was like, Oh, but also remember, I still do this. And you, still love this you know like and i think that's a beautiful model to to kind of uh, set as a goal yeah i mean it's it's you got to follow the muse you know you gotta you gotta do what makes you excited and 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 that's what that's what i've kind of always done um i think initially realizing that the loved ones just needed to come to a close or was going to come to a close at the time it did was frustrating. And then at different points through my solo career, it's been hard to um, get people to understand the songwriting element um, at different points. Now I'm less, I'm, I'm less worried about it. We were sort of allowed in, we made a record in Nashville and got plenty of love and, and um, you know, it's just important to be yourself. Like that's actually the goal of artistry is to like, get closer and closer to the thing that defines you and makes uh, makes you tick and bring that to the world rather than searching um, for a place to necessarily belong, you know, like you're going to bring people along, you're going to lose people. But ultimately I sort of feel like I've got a, a, a higher um, I've got my eyes set up here, you know, where it's like, I want to keep chasing the thing that I'm like intrigued by um, and, and, and make songs in that direction rather than like, well, what's going to sell or what's going to, you know, all that stuff you can't really control. You, you know, you just kind of do your best and try to get the word out and, and keep going. Yeah. I mean, uh, I had a very, very small, uh, music career. I always like to, uh, disclaimer that it was small, um, because I don't want, I, I don't want to uh, pretend that it was anything more than that. But one of the things I always struggled with was like, um, I, I, I had two sides. There was all of this stuff that I wrote that I would never put out or play for anyone. <laughs> um, and it's probably yeah. the better of the stuff that I've ever done. And then there's the stuff because like, you know, being a guy who plays in bars and and stuff like that like i would write songs that i know i would get someone's attention with you know so like um yeah. and, which is not to discredit those those are very fine songs but like but when i felt most rewarded is when i did what was true to what i felt and and that's the same thing with doing this podcast like you know i was when i was talking to taylor from dawes i said one of the issues i have is this balance of like looking at the numbers versus having good conversations and this whole thing was birthed because i just wanted to have good conversations with people so i shouldn't care about the numbers but in the back of my head i'm still looking at them you know like <laughs> well yeah i mean i think that's just you know, we live in a capitalist society, society, and that's part of the thing, you know, as creative people, uh, and everyone's creative, everyone has the a creative energy in them, every human being, um, you know, that's a sensitive and vulnerable and, um, 
really sweet thing that you sort of give the world as a gift, right? Like that's at, at, at its core, that's the best part of that energy is coming up with a cool idea and honing it and then giving it as a gift, right? But we live in a world of rent and we live in a world of, um, unfortunately, of not in a world of plenty. You know, there's plenty to go around. It's just there's not a plentiful mentality, you know, yes. there's, there's, uh, and so ultimately you have to sort of, I found that you have to just keep some level of balance between those two things, because, you know, it's inevitable that if there's a metric, you're going to look at it and it, depending on how you're, um, wired, that metric can start to drive you crazy. Take for instance, like Spotify, we became somewhat frustrated by Spotify and so decided to form our own record label. And um, I guess we were frustrated with the whole music industry, right? You know, it's like, how do we need to keep more of the money? This doesn't seem like, you know, if we could invest our own capital, we'll win. We'll win. It'll be a big win for us, a small win for a bigger label, right? And so we did that and really have steered our fans towards our own record label, meaning more and more of our fans are buying more and more records, which makes us more money. It allows us to live off of our art. And then we've also seen Spotify go down a little bit. That's because our fans are buying physical copies of our records. Like we've seen those numbers rise. We've sold more copies on our own record label than we did on a subsidiary of a major label. But inevitably you look at that monthly listen number if you choose to and go, wait, why are our streams down? Right. And it's like, well, you know, can you have it all? You know? <laughs> so, and I think over time that number goes up and it comes down and we're not playing the same game as Miley Cyrus or whoever is at the top of the streaming game. And just like, we're not, we're not playing the same game really as anybody as Dawes or Bruce Springsteen or, or idols or you know, whoever we've discussed. It's like, you're playing your own version of the game. And the more you can make it that, the less you have to worry about each individual metric. You, you just keep giving that gift away and it changes. Sometimes it's a festival in Philadelphia. Sometimes it's a new record. Sometimes it's the show you play in Cleveland that night or in, in uh, Amsterdam or whatever, wherever we get the chance to play. But ultimately it's like keeping that creative energy pure, as pure as you can and constantly moving and changing so that um, you don't let, that fire go out and and the best way to let that fire go out is to look at the numbers for too long <laughs> yeah it's oh it's so true i'm you know i'm glad you mentioned starting your own label the that so the first release was the last album right um well on, on actually we tried we tried out the first release as a covers album in quarantine i i did uh uh half the record was patty griffin songs oh right right uh, and then the other half was Patty Costello from uh, Dillinger Four covers. And thankfully, I have a manager now who was like, "This is a cool idea. You're the only person on planet Earth who has the same love for Patty Costello and Dillinger Four as as you do for Patty Griffin. This is this could only come out of you. You should make this." And we did it, and we tried to put it out on our own label, and realized that we could. And we were like, "Wait, so if it worked and we did really well with it, why wouldn't we just do our own record?" And so having that initial project be the guinea pig for Blood Harmony, which we did a year later, um, 
was really helpful because if we had made Blood Harmony the guinea pig, I don't know if it would have been as successful or, you know, we would have been working out all the kinks on a, an actual studio album that we like spent money on and invested in and, and were kind of like riding on. So thankfully we were able to chart and do all the things that you want to do as a record label, um, you know, professionally, because I think we did spend the time working the kinks out on, on that initial release of Patty Patty. And that's like something that was really fun that I was able to like really work on in quarantine. Tim and I were emailing back and forth the, the files and, we made it wholly in our home studios. Um, so yeah, the first official release was blood, was blood harmony. And then we put out Tim's record and then drive it like it's stolen comes out in April. So we've been on quite a tear. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, uh, what a great lineup you guys have on your label. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but what, so, so has, does that affect, um, your thought process, uh, in creating the like a new album so like you know drive it like it's stolen going into that um now being the label owner who's releasing that has that does that put any kind of voice in your head as you're creating or or is it just I mean, freeing it's freeing and it's not in other words knowing that um we could theoretically spend whatever we wanted on the record because it's our money is freeing you know i guess if we wanted to spend 200 grand on rick rubin and he wanted to make the record with us we could knowing we would have a hard time recouping that fee um and determining what you do does make it sets up limitations yeah. um but those limitations would be there if you were on a major those limitations would be there if you were on an independent um Ultimately, I'm not really that excited about the idea ever of earning, of, of getting money that I didn't earn. And what I mean is just give me a fair shake on every record that I sold. I, you know, don't give me too much. And then I'm in, in arrears to a label. And then the same, same thing with live. Like I don't want to play a festival show and get overpaid and not bring the people you know, I, I would just, I just feel good if it's like, I got paid fairly. I'm not really looking to like do a grift, especially at this age. Like I've been doing it for so long and want to do it till I'm old and older and grayer. <laughs> and, uh, and so if you take more than you're worth, people start to go, ah, let's pass him over. We'll give it to somebody else who's more deserving. So I think, um, it's a long answer, but ultimately it's, it's more like letting necessity become the mother of invention. So we spent a lot more on the recording process for blood harmony than we did drive it like it's stolen because I learned because for two reasons, one, we made blood harmony. We did that. We had all these like big shot players on there, you know, Bruce Springsteen's bass player and Brandy Carlisle, Carlisle's drummer and Jason Isbell's guitar player. And all. it was incredible. It was awesome. And uh, we made that record. It's that document of those songs. So I didn't want to redo that. I wanted to do something different anyway. <clears throat> and so you sort of go, all right, well, do we want to go to another fancy studio? Do we want to go to a cheaper studio? Like, what is it that's going on in my head musically that we need to get onto the tape? That's the goal. How we get there now is less about it being fancy and more about what's practical, like rather than hire an expensive horn section, if I don't need them to play it live in the room, which would be, you know, 
couple thousand dollars or whatever. I, I was like, well, let's hire a couple horn players here and there and develop the parts as we go in a smaller studio where I can get the clarity of what I want to hear. Even if it takes a little longer, I'm not exactly sure what I want. So let's, let's be able to work that way instead of having this incredible group of horn players come, need a chart, be done in an hour, and then you either get it or you don't. So it really just depends on the project in, in that, in that way, it, requires creativity and thinking on your feet um which i quite like you know I, I like that challenge i like um i like letting necessity become the mother of invention it's it's fun it's fun to have to stretch and go like all right well rather than spend more money is there a more efficient way to do this is there is there a cooler way to kind of get from point A to point B. And then other times we'll make probably records that cost us more money just because it's like, now we really want this incredible harpist or something. Ah, who knows? Who knows? I mean, yeah. it will, it'll depend on what we, but um, I like having those decisions in front of me. And then I love working with our team, which is Tim and our manager, Alex, like that, that brain trust is really cool. It's like, there's, they're younger and they have different ideas than I do. And they also are able to kind of go like, well, what about this? And I go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, so I think like we, we work well together and it allows me to um, make decisions differently than when there's just a set amount of money from a record label. And here's when it could come out. You know, I don't I don't like having to work within those constraints anymore. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, you, mentioning uh, uh, Tim, you know, as you guys are now getting older and kind of working even more and more closely together, um, uh, what what's that been like? Like it, it, it because you know it, he started like playing with you, and then now like you guys are are partners essentially um, on, on on not just your own stuff but his stuff. Um, I don't know what that question was. I lost it somewhere. It's one of the great joys of my life to be able to work with my brother who's that much younger. There's a 15-year age gap. There's three sisters between us. Uh, We lost our mom when he was 11 and I was uh, 26. So there's a lot there that could have led to drift. And instead, we talk to each other every day. We're very much enmeshed in each other's lives. Um. We can count on each other. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Um, I think that, you know, like for instance, this past weekend, he had his first headline show at World Cafe Live. It was amazing. It was full. It was joyful. Everybody was fired up. I played guitar for him. Our keyboard player played keys. And, you know, we were like sat as a companyist and he was like stood up performing for the room full of people. And it was like, it was a big win for the family and for him and for our music. And so it's been it's been tremendous. Um, it changes, you know, it changes here and there, you know, I think, um, the same thing will happen for him that happened for me between, uh, his, this record he just put out and the next one he makes, like he'll have to make new sets of decisions, um, where he wants to make it, how he wants to make it. Um, and you know, I, will we write every song together from now till the end of time? Probably not. We've been on quite a tear. We've probably written, 50 or 60 at this point, maybe even more uh, between when he started writing with me for Bury Me in Philly all the way to now. But, you know, I'm sure there'll be opportunities where he can write in Nashville with other people. I mean, he lives in Philly. I live in California. The more we develop 
And the more we go, the more people we know, um, the more opportunities will just accidentally come where you're like riding with other people. Um, but I think like it's something to be managed, but not like controlled, you know, yeah. like you want to manage that relationship and make sure that you're being direct and fair and kind and considerate and all that stuff. Um, but not try to like demand that it has to go a certain way. You know, it's, it's, it's a, a very loving uh, familial friendship that uh, that has business implications now because we started this business together, but um, it's great. You know, it's, it's, it's like one of the great joys of my life. It's so cool. Like I, I, it's one of those things that like uh, I have, I have a younger sister uh, and uh, she's not musical at all, but like, I, I always like try to imagine what that would be like if we were trying to create something together. And, and I know that she would probably punch me in the face because I would just end up being so bossy. Um, yeah. So I always like when I see that it works. <laughs> it may only work because we've never vied for the same resources. You know, by the time he was, he was uh, a kid. I was an adult, you know? So for all intents and purposes, we've never had that like jealousy where it's yeah. like, Oh, mom's giving you more attention or, or we both like the same girl or something like that stuff has never happened. So where you're closer in age, there might be more of a, of a, um, you know, of a competition or something, but um, now it's all love and it's great. And, and, you know, our sisters are very much, in our lives they're my you know three other best friends and um and they would not allow there to be any schism or rift you know like we work it through if there's something that comes up where it's like ah this is frustrating me or i'm not getting what i need out of this situation or whatever we just talk about it you know it's yeah make sure that the relationship comes first and then all the other stuff like it's not worth uh any level of success or money or something in in the music industry if you squander your relationship with your brother yeah oh definitely definitely <laughs> that's so cool um one of one of the things from the uh past year or so that uh i thought was really awesome um was um i, I i'm a big fan of uh brian koppelman and um to to see like how much he loves your stuff and then to have you on the moment uh with him um is is just incredible um the, how did you first find out that he was that into you you know people say a lot of negative things about twitter and i understand why but uh twitter is also a place where human beings can interact and great things can happen and in this instance um, I saw, I followed him. I'm a fan of the moment. I'm a fan of billions. I'm a fan of all that, you know, all the stuff that he's done. I loved rounders when it came out. So I know who he is. I know what he does. And, um, I was following him on Twitter and one, somebody asked him what his weekend playlist was or something, or maybe he just tweeted it up and it was like Tom Petty, Dave Haas and somebody, else. I couldn't remember who it was, but I was like, wait, what? <laughs> And I had to look at it. I was like, oh, he listens to my music. Oh, so I DM'd him. I had seen that he followed me, I think, or something. So I had some some hint that maybe he liked the music or maybe he just was savvy at Twitter or something. I didn't know. And I said, hey, thanks for tweeting about Bury Me in Philly. Like, I actually just finished a new record called Kick. Can I send it to you? Um, uh, it's a mutual ad admiration kind of thing. And he was like, yeah, please do. And I sent him uh kick and he emailed me back 
saying he was rewriting a scene in Billions uh, after hearing Saboteurs. He's like, I'm rewriting a scene just so I can use that song. We'll work out the money later with the lawyers and all that stuff. But, I, you know, I'm making sure that that song finishes an episode. It's blown my mind. And I was like, hey, what? This is crazy. So, you know, up until that point, we've we've had a little bit of love from TV or something, but not like that. Like that was a major, still like the most Shazammed song of mine, given that so many people watch that show. And so he made, he was, he made good on the promise. He put it in there and we got paid really well for it. It was like an incredible opportunity. Um, and he's kept in touch. He introduced me to Glenn Phillips, who's um, the singer of Toe the Wet Sprocket. He lives here in town, here in Santa Barbara. He was like, you guys should be friends. And now we are actually friends. And, you know, he's very much a connector and very much a creative mind and someone who just loves process and, and, and uh, you know, he loves creativity is, you know, he's on fire for that. I actually wrote a couple songs with him during quarantine and we've become pals. I mean, we're both very busy people, so it's not a friendship that we can, uh, you can't rely on it in the way that you can one of 30 years or something. But in the last couple of years, it's one of those surprise friendships where I'm like, whoa, we we're looking at things in a similar way and we have a big admiration for each other and, and hopefully he'll listen to drive it like it's stolen. I just sent it to him. So we'll see if he gets around to it, but yeah, he's, he's been really kind to us, really good to us. Yeah. He, um, he's come up on the podcast a few times. I had, um, Michael McDermott on the show and, um, and he found, you know, Michael and, and got him signed and stuff like that. And just, he's somebody who I'd, I've always wanted to pick his brain because he's had his hand in, in so much, not just, you know, in, in TV and film, but also music. It's like everything I love, he's kind of come up in. Um, so I'm hoping I can get him. I, I don't know if I sent him the lineup for our festival, but I should. He's a big Craig Finn fan. He's a big drive by truckers fan. And I know he, uh, I'm pretty sure he loves Kathleen Edwards too. So I would imagine he'd come down from New York if he's around. But you know, the thing is like, he's got multiple TV shows and lots going on. And when he's writing, he's like really writing, like writing for TV is crazy. Like it's talk about uh collaborative and 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 then taking that to the screen like it's a whole thing so when he's not busy it's you're a little it's a little easier to kind of like hey man i got a song or do you want to get on a zoom or whatever but when he's busy it's and the same with me if i'm touring or bringing out a record or something it's it's just hard to carve out any time you know with with having kids and then also a creative life so but yeah he he's fantastic man it, I, I had another person who teaches at wissahickon uh school district come up to me in new jersey a couple i guess it was a month ago we played the light of day festival and a teacher there at wissahickon came up and was like hey i'm friends with brian koppelman that's how i found out about you and i was like whoa and he, and he teaches uh in the middle school there so there's there's been a lot of compliment connections that have been really sweet. Yeah, it's incredible. He, I, um, I got a question in on his last Q and A, and I was just like, "All right, well, if I can't get him on the podcast, at least I got my question through." <laughs> hey, man, just keep keep doing you. You, there's there stranger things have happened. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up on your podcast. He's a guy who's got a very, um, he's got a very overflowing heart for creativity. 
It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, bringing it back to Sing is, um, Sing is Home, uh, the lineup is, you know, you, you just touched upon some of the people that are there. Um, but what excites me is two of my two of my pals are in this lineup, uh, the Tisberries and Catbite. Um, yeah. It's so cool to see um, them kind of get get this opportunity and stuff like that. How did you how did you come across putting that that lineup together? Like, um, let's see. Uh, I mean, I've been a drive-by truckers fan for 16, 20 years, something like long time. Um, and so they were on the wish list. Kathleen, I've been a huge fan of since her first record via XBN. Um, we became friendly when I did the exponential festival in 2012, I think. Um, and she actually came over to see us play. Um, we played on a little stage in between, I think the Abbott brothers and Wilco, we were on a tiny stage over at the BBT or whatever it's called now. Um, uh, and she actually came, she walked up while we were playing and I had gone to see her. And so, um, I just love her. And then Craig Finn, obviously I've been, you know, a fan of, and, and the loved ones tour with the hold steady. And so there's a long history there. And, um, so that's kind of the, the, the headliney kind of vibes. Um, and then, the smaller bands, so to speak, um, I'm just a fan of. I, I thought Cat Bite was great. Um, when I heard them, my friend Andy Diamond turned me on to them. He's a promoter out in New Jersey. He said, Yeah, you gotta, hey, he kind of talks like a, a guy right out of the Sopranos. <laughs> D, you gotta hear the, ah, this Cat Bite captivates an audience. And so he told me this. He was on one about it, and I checked them out. I was like, Oh, this is great. And they're from Philly. I love ska music. Um, and so I was excited about them and happy that they committed to it. And, and it was cool. We were, I was walking into Tim's show to play and the guy, Chris from Catbite was like, Hey dude, I'm Chris from Catbite. I bought a ticket to come see Tim. I was like, Whoa, great to have you here. So they're, they're locals and they have an, you know, sort of an open hearted vibe. And I love that. Um, cross keys are old friends of mine. Uh, I played in the curse with Bo. I played in step ahead with Dave Adolph and he's still one of my best friends. I played in paint it black with the wagon shoots. Um, they're terrific. Um, Lydia loveless. I've been a fan of for a couple, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. Um, I love what she's up to. Who else is on? Oh, Tisbury's. I got hip to them from Ruben Frank. Um, the, um, the, the sports pundit, uh, yeah. He's a friend of mine who played with us. And um, I, when's this going to air? This, this, this will be um, March, uh, oh, sometime March. in March. Ruben, Ruben Frank is going to be our MC for Sing Us Home, actually. No way. Uh, That's crazy. awesome. Yeah. 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 We just haven't announced it yet. But he hipped me to Tisbury's. I knew, I knew there was a band with a member at Main Street Music. I knew, you know, Pat's been telling me, oh, yeah, Tyler, you work series cool. And then I saw the Tisbury's on Rube's top records of last year. And, I, and they were really high, maybe number one. And I checked out the record. I was like, whoa, this is great. That's the kid who works at Main Street Music. And put it all together. I was like, we got to have them on the festival. Like they were, they, I had, I had wait, I hadn't heard the record. I'd heard about them, but I hadn't heard the record. I heard the record. I was like, we got to have them. And so right before we solidified the lineup, we called them. Of course, Tim's going to play, which is great. I'm excited to, to see him. And then my dad's band, they do Beatles and, and, and Stones and, and old covers and stuff. We're going to have them play just to give them 
uh, a real thrill, you know, like a real a proper big stage and, and uh, you know, get their vibe, get kind of the old heads. It's good to have some senior citizens play rock and roll music. Um, so they're going to, they're going to play as well. I think that covers everybody, right? Is that? That yeah, looks like, uh, yes. Right. Anybody else? Um, I think what's your dad's band's name? By Cat. They're called the Circle of Sin with a okay. Y, so syncopation. Yep. Okay. Uh, Ocean, Ocean Ave Stompers is that? Uh... Oh, the Ocean Avenue Stompers. Yeah, they're from they're from Asbury Park. They're a brass band in sort of the New Orleans or the Mummers tradition, and they're going to be um, they're going to be there as an almost like their own stage. And that's going to be very exciting. They're going to, instead of having a second stage, I was like, nah, I want to get people moving. I want it, I, I want it to be something different. And so we're going to give them a set list of punk and, and, uh, and ska and rock and roll and hip hop and stuff. And, and they're going to learn all that stuff in a, in a traditional kind of brass band feel. And they're going to play throughout the crowd. So that's very exciting. Um, and then we'll hopefully get them up for a couple numbers from Drive It Like It's Stolen too, because there are horns on the new record. But so yeah, they're I'm super excited about them. They're almost like their own. Um, they're almost like their own stage, you know. And you'll you'll see, like it, it'll make sense once once uh, once we do it. And in fact, on some level, I'm wondering if they'll be the only repeat if we go to a second year, because like it'd be cool to not repeat for a while, yeah. but like keep a fresh. Um, but they seem like their own kind of entity. So I got I got big plans for them. <laughs> That's super cool, man. That sounds super exciting. Um, at this time, you want to go through the jauntlet? These are my um, my stock questions that I ask every guest because um, I like yeah. to pick their brain on things. First section is the one hit wonders. This is just um, kind of picking a favorite. Uh, the first one, Billy Joel or Elton John? <sighs> Billy Joel. Yeah. I mean, Elton John... Yeah. If I hadn't been raised the way I was, where I was, and Billy Joel is just one of those uh, big ones in our family. All my sisters love him. I think if I had to, if if I found them today, I'd go with Elton John, you know. But for me, it's Billy Joel. He's he's oh my god, that's like the soundtrack to growing up uh, for me. And um, there's just something very East Coast about being a Billy Joel fan. And let's face it. Very punk rock, this guy driving yeah. around at top speeds in that in this race cars, drunk as hell on speed and everything else. This guy's a wild man, even up into his older years. Um, not that I'm advocating for that, but I'm just saying this is a this is a true rock and roller. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I'm going Billy Joel there. Perfect. Uh, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Joan Jett. My friend Michael McDermott, a different Michael McDermott, the drummer of the Bouncing Souls, former, is now her drummer. And um, so if I had an opportunity to be around either, I've met Joan Jett. She was super cool. I have not met Debbie Harry. Again, I think if I didn't have that tie to them, I probably would be more of a fan of Debbie Harry's music, Blondie's music. But. Joan wins on pure cool and the fact that she hired my dear pal to be her drummer. I love it. I love it. Uh, the next one, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. That one is so hard. I mean, Aretha Franklin is just one of those voices. It's like one of the fo- first voices you would hear walking into heaven, you know? 
So I got to go Aretha, but damn, Tina Turner in terms of cool and in terms of the soundtrack of my personal life, I might have to go Tina as like just more of what I'm influenced by. But Aretha Franklin, mm, oh, this is just one of the finest singers on planet Earth to ever live, especially in the last you know, 100 years. Ah, it's Aretha by just a hair. All right. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Pearl Jam. Um, yeah. I, I. Here's the thing. I love Nirvana, but I don't put them on. And Pearl Jam has been a lasting, incredible influence on me for uh, now 30 years uh, from 10 and verses. And I still listen to them. When they put out a new record, I still get it. Not that Nirvana has that option, but um, yeah, I think in terms of aging gracefully and, and their influence on culture, their influence on rock and roll, um, and the fact that I just put Pearl Jam on, I, I listen to 10 verses in Vitology every fall, right around when soccer season would have started as a kid. Uh, when I was getting all those records. Um, and uh, yeah, it's Pearl Jam for me. Great. I love it. It's the same for me. Uh, like, uh, I, I wonder if it's uh, because we're uh, as in close in age as we are, but like the, the, that, perhaps, yeah, perhaps. that, 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 um, that catalog is just, um, especially those three albums in a row is just, and like, it's from outer space to me. Like, it's just so, they're so perfect. <laughs> and yeah, we had the opportunity know. to play Eddie Vedder's festival in 2018. The mermaid got to play his festival in, in Dana point down in, in uh, Southern California. And just to have him welcome us there with that intense look that he has and his kindness, you could see that it, they're an extension of his humanity and his compassion and I think as much as I love Nirvana and I love those records, I think the further I get from them, the more you, it's just so unsettling. And obviously, you know, that was all baked in and, and that's punk rock and all that stuff. But I think there's a lot of great unsettling punk rock and there's only one Pearl Jam, you know, I, I think maybe that's kind of where I go with it. It's like, it's the embodiment of, someone who's aged gracefully or a group of men of people who have aged gracefully in rock and roll. And, and I think the thing with Nirvana is as awesome as it is, it's still so unsettled and unsettling to hear that uh, I just don't put it on as much. Ah, oh, respect. I like that. That's a good answer. Good answer. Um, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks, for sure. <laughs> Janis Joplin, um, I love her voice. It never, the artistry was never my cup of tea. And Stevie Nicks is the only um, person that almost got into the Heartbreakers, which are my all time favorite band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, her solo career is incredible. Fleetwood Mac is just so fucking incredible. She, yeah, Stevie is, I mean, People kind of bag on her voice sometimes, which I'm stunned by. It's one of the coolest sounding voices you can come across. Um, I mean, I get it. It doesn't have the power of Adele or Aretha Franklin in, in that traditional singing way, but man, is it cool. 
and uh, just a behemoth songwriter. Just, I mean, incredible Stevie for sure. Definitely. Uh, the big one, Beatles or the Stones? The Beatles, of course. Um, you just can't fuck with them. Um, you have three of the greatest songwriters. You know, when I when I took piano lessons as a kid, uh, my piano teacher had these busts of the great composers, you know, like Brahms, Mozart, and Beethoven, and maybe some other guys or whatever. And they were like little clay busts. And I feel like the Beatles have three of the, the rock and roll busts in the same band. You've got, you've got George Harrison. My son's named Harrison. Um, John Lennon and Paul McCartney have, uh, you know, it's just, it's too much um, artistry and talent in one band to even keep up with. I love the Stones. The Stones more or less have been doing the same thing, which I love musically for most of their career and i'm i'm so happy they exist but if you're if you're making me do this it's hands down the beatles right on right on uh the last one of the one hit wonders bohemian rhapsody or stairway to heaven Ooh, um i think bohemian rhapsody mostly because freddie and queen what they were able to do it's just astonishing and I worked construction, uh, residential and commercial construction in my early 20s. And I got zeppelined out by a lot of like dipshit contractors to, you know, that's all they would listen to. And it was like, Zeppelin's the best, man. And I love Led Zeppelin. I love Bonham. I love Paige. I love all of it. But uh, I just think it got pounded into my head so much by Philadelphia Rock Radio and and the various... Um, I don't know, like arrogant contractors that I was working with yeah. at the time that I'm kind of like, ah, enough with the Zeppelin thing. Um, as much as I love them, as much as I'd watch any documentary that came out about Led Zeppelin, I'm going Bohemian Rhapsody over uh, Stairway to Heaven. Excellent. Uh, the next section is the top 10 countdown. Um, these, um, as I'm sure you're well aware, being from where you are, uh, you know that John can be anything you want it to be. It doesn't have to be music, can be anything. So uh, the first one, what was your first John? What were the, was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were a kid? Gotta be music. Um, probably Thriller by, by, by Michael Jackson. Um, that really just captivated me. I was, oh my God, I opened the damn uh, record up and he's got a tiger. You know, the songs are out of this world. Eddie Van Halen's playing guitar on Beat It. You know, so that's probably the first big fascination. I also, I'd say maybe the Lone Ranger and Spider-Man too, right around that time, you know, somewhere in that early childhood, they really captivated my imagination. So I'd say Michael Jackson and the Lone Ranger and Spider-Man were my first John. It's awesome. That is so cool. Uh, number two, what's your current John? What are you into right now? I'm very taken with this band Idols. I love them. They, I, I was late to the party. I had a lot of friends say to me, oh, you're going to love this. And I just skipped it. I didn't listen. Ah, well, maybe. I get afraid these days of getting into aggressive music sometimes because I'm like, well, what am I going to do listening to a punk band at this age, I got, you know, where am I going to put that on? Yeah. I guess at the gym. Um, and then I get afraid that I'm going to end up, you know, 
back in a band like that, I'll get carried away, you know, because I love that kind of music. But uh, no, I got into the idols and I just, I'm very happy I did. I think they're terrific. They're funny and uh, spastic and, and just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very much enjoying getting into their catalog. I, uh, I, I, I was, I, I still am uh, absolutely obsessed with them. Um, ever since I saw the tiny desk concert they did, which was oh, just, oh my God. It's so like, it, it, like that was how I found them. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? Like, and then, um, absolutely. they were, they were one of the first like major indoor shows I saw post pandemic, um, at the Fillmore. They were at the Fillmore oh, in wow. Philly. And um, I stayed up on the balcony because I was a coward. Um, but uh, but I, was it, wild? it was the most insane thing I ever saw. In in the very beginning, they're doing, um, um, I, I think they were doing Colossus or something like that. He stops in the middle of the song and he split the room, st- the the entire Fillmore, straight down the center. And then and then it was like one, two, three, four, and then like the entire place erupted. And I was like, I'm I'm way too old for this, but God, I wish I was down there. <laughs> like, uh, I uh, man, well, you know, they're kind of they remind me a little bit of the Bronx, um, but but with a lot more going on um in terms of the influences you know i feel like but but they give me the same feeling i get when i see the bronx where i'm like oh i want to break something yeah and you know somebody else feels as 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 uh mixed up and crazy as i do you know it's very much that those two bands hit that mark for me um but yeah I'm, I'm excited to see them at some point i might have to get my moshing shoes back on the um the <laughs> my uh my fiance the very first time she heard I, I like played her some of it she was like can you stop punching your chest i was like i can't i was like i'm just uh, i'm driven to feel this music like <laughs> yeah i was told all about them by like i said by a lot of friends over the years last couple of years i mean going back maybe even to 2018 or something i forget when i first heard about them but I saw him on uh, Jimmy Fallon or one of the Jimmy's shows, and it was that newer song, Can I Get a Hallelujah? Oh, yeah. Here from back now, whatever that one is. And I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. What is this? And it gripped me. It, like I, I went right into the record, and I was like, Yo. so I've, I'm kind of going from this new record back and really enjoying it. Oh, man, you are in for a treat. <laughs> uh, number three, yeah. what was your first concert? My first concert I went to was the Hooters at the Tower Theater in 1985. Um, my uncle took me. He knew that I was super excited about rock and roll. He knew I loved that band. And he knew it was going to be an exciting thing to see. And so we we were in the last row or second to last row, I think. And he still talks about the mixture of excitement and complete fear that took me over when they hit the first chord. Whoa. You know, cause it's, you know, when you're a little like that and you hear a rock band, um, it can really knock you over. So, and you know, I kind of haven't been the same ever since. <laughs> what was So that's, that's awesome. Uh, with that being as, as influential and as powerful as it was, what was it like working with Eric on, uh, Burning Me in Philly? Like that had to have been pretty kind great. of. Yeah, it was great. It was hard at points to be able to, um, to distinguish that feeling of like working with someone that impacted you as a young boy with like, okay, I'm also working with someone on my record. You know, it was, it was difficult at points to not go, 
let's just go with whatever Eric wants to do because I was so reminded of like this is my first hero, my first guitar hero, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he was gracious about it, really sweet about it, and also um, at, at different points made sure that I didn't do that. He was like, look, make sure we make this the way you want to make it. And so, but it was great. It was really joyful to work with him. He's an incredible musician and great to kind of uh, extend one of my own roots into Philadelphia rock roots, you know, like to kind of have that um, link in a chain to like the the city and the the area was, was really cool. No, that's that's great. Uh, number four, what you was your interview on this, man? I would gladly any day of the week. I had um, oh, we had we, um, we had Andy King on, um, who played bass um, oh, cool. back uh, back in the day uh, for them. But yeah, oh my oh, yeah. god, I would love to talk to Eric. Like uh, I just saw him; he came out um, and played um, uh, him and Dave and um, God. Why am I blanking? Um, Rob at, and uh, Rob. Oh, at the uh, Low Cut Connie show. That's what it was. Uh, they came out uh, and oh, brought cool. them out, and that was that was absolutely oh, nice. stellar. Yeah. Um, number four. What was your last concert? Oh, um, that I attended. Yes. Um, I don't know. Um, I saw Jackson Brown with my wife since the pandemic. That was awesome. Um. Maybe it was Jackson Brown. I don't. I don't know. Oh, it's just, that bugs me. I, I don't know. I think it was no, no. Jackson Brown. Yeah, that, that's going that, back like almost almost a year. Um, I don't go to that many. Oh, shit! I don't know, man. I think it was. It must have been Jackson Brown. Okay, that no, seems like a long time ago. I don't go to that many shows because I play. I play so often and tour so often that when I'm home, I try actually try to avoid it. Yeah. Um, if I can, unless I know the band's going to be like, just like my wife and I are going to go see AFI play their uh, singing the sorrow record in March. Cause uh, they're old friends of mine and she's a fan. And I know that's going to be a special thing down in Los Angeles, but I don't, I kind of like save it up for certain events like that. Cause, uh, I'm 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 older. I like to be around my kids. <laughs> yeah, no, respect. Much respect. Uh number five, what was your favorite concert? What was the best show you ever saw? I don't even know. I think uh for me uh, probably Petty. Um I saw Tom Petty in two thousand and eight or six. I can't remember. It was on the Highway Companion tour and I brought this kid that was working. I was in construction i brought this kid that was working for us who was a big petty fan and it was just joyful it was so awesome um probably tom petty and the heartbreakers perfect or you know what actually it was it was on the final tour he did the final tour he did i went with my wife and tim and tim's wife and um and we had box seats due to mike campbell's guitar tech being a fan of ours which was incredible and uh and it was like sheer joy you know everyone was crying when he came on it was just like our church um so yeah probably those two petty shows perfect you know tom petty is one of those people who like i constantly forget is not with us anymore and then when, like when i remember i'm i'm like mourning all over again <laughs> like it's just like oh fuck that's right you know like yeah. american treasure absolutely 
Um, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Uh, Elvis Costello. Oh, you've never seen it? No. I no, finally never, got you know, to see him um, at the Exponential Music Festival, uh, I guess oh, two awesome. years ago or something like that, two or three. I, I should have gone. I sent our band, our rhythm section went that night and I hung out with my sisters because we had, you know, f- tickets through. I don't know how we got them, but I was like, oh, you guys go. I'll just hang with my sisters and I haven't seen them. Um, there's a long list, though. I mean, The Clash, um, um, Idols. <laughs> <laughs> Dolly, I haven't seen Dolly Parton. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen Brandy Carlisle yet. Oh, I know you have been for many, many years. And I, I've never seen her live. She's just as beautiful live as she is on, on record, if not more. Like, just absolutely stellar. That I bet. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, number seven, name an unappreciated John. Something you wish had a little more shine to it. Oh, unappreciated music or just anything? Anything. Hmm. I guess we could stick with music. Um, I don't think that the roots get enough credit. You know, I think the yeah. roots is like, let's stick with Philly. Let's stick with the music. I think the roots really should be celebrated as like America's great band, um, especially since the heartbreakers are done. Um, and, uh, you know, they get props, but they're not like celebrated in that way where like, this is pretty much the best America has to offer in terms of a band. So I'd say the roots. Definitely. And, and like, to me, like, uh, uh, black thoughts, like a top three MC of all time, if not oh, number one. And absolutely. I feel like nobody ever, ever gives him the respect that he deserves. Like he's just phenomenal. Yeah. He's so good. It's nuts. He did get his, he did get a lot of hype a couple years ago when he did that. Um, there was something, something went viral that that he did maybe it was a freestyle i can't yeah, remember the but. hot 97 freestyle maybe or the the one with I think Sway that in the morning. Him, yeah. people started to go like oh okay maybe he is one of the best but yeah i'm with you man he's yeah he's underrated. Top, tops uh number eight favorite album probably wildflowers by the heartbreakers by, or by tom patty really it's, it's not a heartbreakers record but um yeah probably wildflowers that's pr- that that or full moon fever i'd probably put on most readily joshua tree is one of my favorite records of all time london calling um and a thousand kisses by patty griffin those oh, are those beautiful are, yeah yeah, yeah those a- are those are like my my big go-tos yeah uh it's great uh number nine name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release taylor swift yeah yep all right right yeah i'm always i'm i'm at the ready whenever there's an i'm like i want to hear it when's it coming out if it's coming out at midnight i might not stay up that late but (laughs) i'll be ready in the morning to download it and listen to it and and assess what she's up to i think that um in the instance of taylor swift and you know and and bruce springsteen what you're looking at is like two people at the absolute pinnacle of what i do they make up songs and share them with people, right? Um, in a in a traditional um, commercial kind of way, and so I'm always curious what they're they're up to and how they're delivering what they're doing. Particularly her, because I think 
I've been rooting for her for a long time. And initially when I said she's going to be one of the greatest of all time, she's going to be up there with Dolly Parton to songwriting friends of mine back. This is back 15 years ago. I got like scoffed at or whatever. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. What are you crazy? And I was like, you just wait. And sure enough, she has proven herself to be one of the greatest, most impactful, most connected songwriters of all time. It's crazy. Yeah. I, and, you know, uh, the the growth is just like it, it blows my mind. Um, you know, she could have very easily sat in kind of that, you know, um, you know, three, three and a half minute pop song uh, lane. Um, but these last three albums, she's just like this is what I'm feeling and this is what you're getting. And it's, it's been really great. It's awesome. Yeah. It's crazy. It's not even necessarily that I'm going to always be emotionally compelled by it. Meaning like some of them, I, it doesn't always connect for me, but it's always interesting. It's always compelling. It's all because so much of what she does is also in the way she brings it to people. That's so just creative and well thought out. I mean, she's just, she's spectacular. Yeah, methodical as as a trait in, in, in as a compliment and 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 nothing more than that. like it is just it's sure. it's great. Uh the awesome. 10th and final of the top 10 countdown, what is your favorite John of all time? It can be anything you want it to be. Whew. Um I think just a day in the sun with my wife and kids. You know, if we're in the park or we're taking a little ride going to get some pizza just a simple day where we're all together we're all healthy we're all feeling good that's about as good as life gets uh beautiful answer beautiful answer um well okay so we got uh drive it like it's stolen coming out in april then uh Mm -hmm. we got uh sing us home in may um are, are you touring on this album or not exactly um what we're gonna do is um we're going over to Europe in March just for a couple shows, some private shows in Germany, a private show in the Netherlands. Um, and then three club shows, London, Manchester, and Amsterdam. And there'll be preview shows of the record. And that's it. That's we're doing that in March in April. We'll do some record stores. We're going to warm the band up towards the end of April with, um, really small shows in Toronto and Boston, really small, like, um, we might do two a piece in those towns, but it'll just be to kind of get the rust out of the gears. And then all of our focus is on the festival. Um, we don't have a ton planned beyond that. We have some stuff in the works, but we're not touring really with the band this year. It's all geared towards the festival. We really want to build that and make that a place where we can put a lot of our energy. Um, I'll tour with Tim. I'll tour with, Tim and Mark, our keyboard player, we'll do some trio stuff um, at different points. But yeah, the most, the thing we're mostly focusing on is bringing out the record, playing some shows, and then and then delivering the festival. So it's, it's awesome. a different year, man. I'm used to like putting out a record and playing ninety shows, but not this year. It's awesome. If I mean, it's 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 absolutely stellar. And like, if if anything, if the rest of the album is like Hazard Lights, uh, I'm going to love yet another album you put out because uh, awesome. It's just absolutely yeah. stellar, man. Well, on Friday we have like the most up tempo rock song coming out, which is a song called "Damn Personal," and so that'll that's about the loss of a friend, and it's got a real heartstrings puller of kind of vibe, and 
So I'm excited, man. It's, there's a lot to be fired up about. There's a lot to be kind of a little scared about, you know, things are different. We're doing things differently. And there's always a little bit of like, this is going to work, but you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And it's good to shake it up. It's awesome. Dave, thank you so much for doing this. If the folks want to find you on the internet, what's the best way to track you down? Um, on Instagram, it's just Dave Haas. That's H-A-U-S-E. Our website is DaveHaas.com. And then from there, you can get to the store, which I think is store.DaveHaas. Um, that's our, our record label is all based there. Um, and then on Twitter, it's Haas Dave, H-A-U-S-E-D-A-V-E. Um, and Facebook, it's Dave Haas music. I think I'm not, but basically if you put in Dave Haas to Google, you'll get everything that you need and just don't spell it with a no, cause that would be Dave house. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that'll get you where you need to be. We're up on Spotify and Instagram and all that other stuff and all the places you can find um aspiring musicians <laughs> i i am again i appreciate this so much and i appreciate the music you create and, and i'm so glad um that that you're able to kind of put this festival together um to kind of just uh uh sing us home essentially like it's, yeah, it's so it's so dope such a thrill to meet you and and be able to do this this has been really fun and it's crazy how many connections we have locally and and how many of the you know similarities in our in our um in the things we like and came up with and so it's always cool to find a new friend especially when you're doing kind of press stuff it's 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 been a treat so thanks for having me my thanks again to dave for joining me on the show today you can find out more about dave and links to his socials and his brilliant music by visiting his website at www.davehoss.com his latest single, Low, as well as Damn Personal and Hazard Lights from the upcoming Drive It Like It's Stolen are streaming now wherever you get your music from. And Drive It Like It's Stolen is set to be released on April 28th and is available now for pre-order on Dave's website. Tickets are now available for the Sing Us Home Festival, and they're going quick, so do not hesitate to pick them up. The fest is May 5th and 6th on the grounds of the Performing Arts Center on Venice Island in Maniunk. Visit www.singushomefestival.com for tickets and more information. Links to all of those will be, as always, in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo, That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And it's never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And guys, while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo, that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at yo, that's my John and search yo, that's my John on YouTube to find the yo, that's my John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Okay, I know we all got used to this weekly thing, but uh, don't be surprised if we take a break next week. I, I don't know for sure, but uh, Katie and I are taking a trip to New Orleans at the end of the month, so my schedule might get a little wonky in there, but uh, who knows? Keep an eye out on the feed. 
blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be. Yo, that's my John is a lonely monk production, written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>